greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Hey, welcome to Winds of Change. I'm your host and uh, Bible teacher, Keith McKenzie. Welcome to session 13 of Genesis 1 through 11. We've been out of the studio for a little while. Uh, we've got some new equipment in the studio. But anyway, we want to go ahead and start this session off with prayer. So let us go before the Lord. Father, we just give you thanks and praise for today. I thank you for uh, the opportunity, Lord, just to come before your, your throne of grace, Lord, and just ask ask uh, to teach your people uh, the truths that you have hidden in your word. I pray, Father, you would help me to make uh, plain sense out of your word, and we just give you thanks and praise for today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, last time we, we touched on um, the curse uh, that was given to the serpent last time in session 12. So here in session 13, we're going to kind of expand where we were there in uh, Genesis chapter 3. And uh, just a small recap, uh, God here in, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the temptation and the fall of man. And then we have the... Um, the, how God approaches and deals with the sin issue, which now from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 21, if you remember, which is all but like four chapters of your Bible deals with this issue of sin and the redemption of man which we'll be getting into the next show but here in uh, session 13 let's go ahead and uh, pick up and, and start reading here in verse 14 with the serpent and we kind of touched on this a little bit but we're going to go through and we're going to talk about uh, with uh, the curses being dealt to the serpent to the woman and to the man so here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed, cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now right there, we touched on this a little bit last week, but what we want to kind of expand here a little bit is um, the law of consequences, unintended consequences. And I heard an illustration about a businessman who went into an office, it was a multi-million dollar contract, and all the bids had to be brought in by secret and delivered to this office. And the way the, the, the story goes is that this man goes in to the office to present his bid, and he sees his main competitor's bid sitting there on the desk. But on this desk is, you know, this huge mahogany desk, and on the desk there's this, this can on top of the bid, but that can is placed right on that figure that this uh, gentleman wants to see. And he, and he takes a little peek around, and he really wants to kind of see what his competitor's price came in at. And then he says, nah, you know what, I, I'm not, I, I shouldn't do that. And uh, 
and then but he just he just can't resist and so he says I'm just gonna just look at it for a second so this can of soda is sitting on top of this thing and he says well what I'll do is I'll just I'll just move the can and I'll and I'll put it right back and so he takes a peek both ways again and then he decides okay I'm gonna go ahead and go for this and so he grabs the can of soda and goes to lift it up and it's full of BBs but it's open on the bottom so these BBs just absolutely just shower all over this mahogany wooden desk bouncing on the floor I mean obvious setup and this is an illustration of the law of uh, unintended consequences I, he certainly didn't think that he was going to have that but cat's out of the bag he's bagged and um, probably doesn't get the bit but anyway uh, here we have also what we want to do is kind of expand on that is the law of unintended uh, consequences and let me let me illustrate one more um, sports sports uh, thing everybody knows uh, Dale Earnhardt the uh, stock car famous stock car uh, driver Dale Earnhardt Sr. Well, anyway, during the Daytona 500, going back a little ways, his team was winning one, two, three, and there was another guy on the very last lap who was trying to pass Dale on the bottom, and he was probably going to get him. And Dale thought he would just squeeze him down because he was known as the intimidator. He tried to squeeze this guy down to the bottom of the, the track, and of course the other guy, you know, this is a podium finish, he's not going to back off. And uh, what happens is Dale runs into the, the rear end of his car, into the front end of the car, overtaking him, trying to block him. And, and the, the thing I want to explain here is that Dale uh, perished in this crash. And this crash was, uh, I don't want to say it was a minor crash, but it was a, uh, it was a crash at very high speed. But there's been a lot worse uh, accidents in, in NASCAR over the years, certainly a lot more dramatic. But Dale had modified his seatbelts um, and the manufacturer had told them, you know, we don't know how that's going to work. You know, you shouldn't do that. But it was more comfortable for him the way he was uh, driving. And that seatbelt failed and in that accident. And, and unfortunately, the racing world and the sports community at large lost uh, one of its heroes. And that is another example of unintended uh, consequences. I mean, that's certainly not what they wanted to have happen in either one of those illustrations. In the same thing, right here, we have the serpent, the woman, and the man. Now, th this law of unintended consequences begins to open up here as we see the curses being poured out on each one of them. And you'll notice that each one of these curses is tailored to meet that uh, specific person's, um, you know, their sphere of influence. And, and so God perfectly, he doesn't just give them all a, a blanket death sentence. He doesn't give them all a, a blind and, a, you know, the firing squad. What he does is he, he begins to uh, bring the curses down here uh, for each one of them. In, and for the serpent, as we discussed last time, we have he, um, 
he has no recourse here. He is damned. Unlike the woman and the man to whom God is going to show grace and mercy. I hope to show uh, you that in there. I hope I do a good job with that. But anyway here, we talked a little bit about the enmity, this warfare that God has declared. God declares the war here against uh, the serpent. And, and what we have is this as we discussed earlier from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to like Revelation 21 this warfare, this enmity that God puts between uh, himself, he begins it and the woman and he says this is going to be with the seed of the woman so what God does is he takes the, the vehicle that being Eve whom the serpent uh, deceived and who the serpent probably in his own dark counsel thinks, hey, I got this, I got this one. And then God says, no, I'm going to use the woman, the very vehicle that you use to bring sin and death into the world. He says, I'm going to use this woman, okay, that through a woman that will bring the Savior. This is the battle of the seeds. It opens up here going forward. Okay, and, and this will be, uh, you'll see that this is the first mention of the gospel, the proto-evangelum that we discussed uh, last time. And he says, um, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Your seed, speaking to the serpent, he's speaking uh, down the road to this person of the Antichrist who will seek to usurp uh, Christ. And her seed being the promise of a Messiah. So, you know, we have judgment here, but he's also bringing good news because the effects of sin have already been so profound. For, uh, for those of us today who live today... We've always been in a sin-marred world. We do not live in paradise. Even here in the United States, and as good as we have it, we do not live in paradise. We have it far better than most of the world. This is the greatest country, and, um, and that's because godly people founded this country, and God blessed this country because of that. And, but here, we want to go a little further... And, and it talks about this warfare, right, between um, the seeds. And he says, and he, being the seed of the woman, the virgin-born uh, Messiah, okay? And I guess this might be a, a good place to bring this up. Um, do you remember when we were in school and we were learning biology and you learned Mendel's Law and how uh, this was a monk and he began to do uh, genetic uh, testing and it was with the pea plant you remember he took a, a red pea plant and a white pea plant and he ended up with a pink pea plant and and he began to come up and with these various experiments in with genetics and and they've uh, scientists and biologists have built on on this work and refined it uh, quite a bit but basically in a nutshell it says that everything uh, that we are as people was in my parents 
Everything that was in me was originally in my parents. And if we take that and we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, that everything that they had, okay, and this is why the virgin birth is very important, because it comes through her seed. The blood is determined by the Father. Now, when we get to Genesis chapter 4, in the end of Genesis chapter 3, we have some... Uh, the the uh, atonement and substitutionary atonement is is uh, being outlined here for the first time, and and it's because uh, it says that because we're all sinners, and and we need to be saved by God's grace. It says there is no remission. That means there's no taking away of the sins without the shedding of blood, and that's because God is both just and the justifier of those who will believe in Jesus Christ. And that, in a nutshell, means, okay, and this can get pretty, you know, we don't want to spend too much time here, but because of what God did by becoming a man and going to the cross, he, he, he deals with sin, so he's just, okay, because sin needs to be paid for, but he's also the justifier because he does that then that death on the cross becomes that substitutionary death for us like Barabbas and 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 it's because of that blood okay from God the Father giving the seed to the Virgin Mary so he has a you know, Jesus becomes what theologians call the God-man. He's fully God and fully man because he's, he has everything that both of his parents gave him. And because of that, that's why Adam couldn't be the father because Adam's DNA and his, his seed had already been corrupted from the fall. And that's why the virgin birth is an extremely important teaching within the church. It's not just some fanciful myth. That's not the case at all. So, we have right there, and, and because of this, God uses a man, okay, to defeat the most powerful thing created that usurped mankind and he uses a man <laughs> who's the Lord Jesus and he, and he undoes the work of Satan and when that really starts to sink in with you I mean you will really really begin to just appreciate what God has done now let's move on to the curse given to the woman he says here in verse 16 it says to the woman he said I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you now here we have you know God is is saying okay to the woman he says I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception so what happens here is it, you know the Lord is saying that women when you when you just look at the women today 
all right, from, from ancient times all the way up to today, except for here in America, in, with the advancement of modern sciences, women have had it very tough, especially in childbearing. Um, I've heard reports that in third world countries and stuff like that, that there is up to a 50% mortality rate for, for women when giving childbirth, whether it's the baby or the mother in some cases, and that the, 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 the sorrow that, that God puts here is, is a reminder of the sin and what was lost in the garden. And, and, and this is not because God wants to be mean. This is because God is showing that, that uh, law of unintended consequences and, and wants to make sure that people understand that there is, you know, sin is awful. And that's what, you know, we're having to spend some time here in Genesis chapter 3, but there's so many things crucial to the rest of our understanding of the Bible and even more important, really, to our worldview of what's going on around us in the world. This helps us to understand what is going on in the world. We have sinful men, like myself, marrying sinful women, like my wife, and we have sinful children. All right? Adam and Eve were perfect. They lived in paradise. And they had they had it good. They had it perfect. And so Adam and Eve were the only two who knew what it was like to be perfect and live in paradise. They lose that. The serpent deceives Eve. Adam is not deceived. He willfully enters into rebellion with Eve, but he wasn't deceived. And so this sorrow is being multiplied as they have children, and their children have children, and they see the effects of sin not only in their own life, getting kicked out of the garden, out of paradise, and now they see the effects of sin in their own children, which we will begin looking at in Genesis chapter 4. And, and it says, so she, she, her conception increases, so this, it's, it's implying here that you're going to have babies more frequently. What it was before that, we don't know. It doesn't really say, but that seems to be what the text here is implying, is that this will be multiplied. So, you know, if you've ever seen the, the videos of, of women who, who are uh, overseas in a third world country, uh, they're malnutrition, they don't have access to uh, contraceptives, and what happens is they have multiplied children, they can't take care of the ones they got, and they're getting pregnant again. And this is why the husband, he says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And this is a sad um, loss of, of that, that union that was there in the garden, that, that, that oneness that they shared. 
which can be and is redeemed in Christ through a godly relationship between a man and a woman when they get married and they have God in their life he makes those relationships whole again but as a large part in most of the world we have women who are treated as third class citizens they um, in, in some cultures they're, they're, they're treated no better than cattle sex slaves and, and these type of things and it's, and it's sad but this is what unfortunately sinful man has done to women this is one of the consequences of that sin but that can all be redeemed in Christ and then let's go ahead and move to the, the man and it says in verse 17 he says and this is the first time Adam's name is actually brought up the, they drop the, uh, the reference to man is Adam in Hebrew but it would say, it would say the Adam, so the man, and they drop the the, and it becomes his name. Now it becomes a proper name. So it says then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat. Remember, that's what God says. He says you shall not eat. But Adam had added to that, creating a fence to try and keep Eve away from that. He says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And it says, And you shall eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. And then it says, Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve, and that's the first mention of her name here in the book of Genesis. So this is, Genesis, remember, means origins, which means beginnings. So this is her name, and it says, because she was the mother of all living. So Adam hears what God is saying, right, to the serpent and to Eve, and he actually begins to exhibit faith here because he's already seen that the serpent is a liar. All right? They immediately saw the consequences of sin on their lives. They become shame enters the picture. They, they are, their, their relationships are fractured, if you remember. So here, for, for the man, for Adam... It says, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, between Eve and Adam, they have different curses put on them, and each one of these curses is to remind them of, of the consequences of this sin. So now Adam has to go out and work in labor. Before he was tending the garden, he was able to eat and, and, and enjoy everything in the garden, and there was only, remember that, just that one prohibition of, of not eating from the tree of life, of good and evil, sorry. And so he is reminded every time he goes to work. Now he says it's 
you know, God tells him it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. And he goes, and, and the herb of the field. So vegans ruled the planet back then. Between Adam and Eve, everybody was a vegan back then. And I'm sure that that was not a bad thing back then. But thorns and thistles now uh, start to mar the creation that God has given them. And so they immediately begin to see the effects of sin on those relationships and everything. They recognize Satan for what he is, a liar and a deceiver, because Adam knew that this was, he, he knew it. And um, so, but he entered into that rebellion willfully, and that is actually a picture, okay, that Jesus is called the last Adam. Adam here is the first Adam, obviously. But what the scriptures teach us is that Jesus is the last Adam. And that used to confuse me a little bit. I, I, I didn't understand. I thought Adam was a, was a mess up. He was a screwball. You know, he blew it. Why is the Lord Jesus, who's a, the only one who ever lived the perfect life, why is he being associated with this? And then we learn, okay, that, that because Adam wasn't deceived, it was because Adam loved Eve so much that he was willing to enter into her predicament and, and enter into that sin. So he willfully, knowingly entered into sin, knowing what the cost was, that it was going to cost him his life, that he was going to die. But that's how much he loved Eve. And that's how much Jesus loves the church. That's how much he loves you and me. He was willing to go and be with us, to die for us willingly, like Adam, enter in, and Jesus, the man who knew no sin, becomes sin, as we keep saying over and over, that we might live forever. And this is how Jesus undoes Satan's work here in the garden. But you'll notice that these curses, okay, there's no restitution, no chance of hope, no salvation whatsoever for the serpent because he's been in God's presence. He knew better. He willfully enters into that rebellion. Eve is deceived. Adam enters willfully into this rebellion but he does it because he loves Eve therefore actually becoming a model of Christ in that respect and, and so here these curses okay which continue today and the only way to alleviate those curses is to invite Christ in your life he took on the curses he became sin and tasted death for me for you and if you want to enter in and, and be a part of a God who loves you all you have to do is invite him into your heart say Lord Jesus come into my heart save me I want to live a life well-pleasing unto you. Help me to learn your ways, to get to know your word, that you might live with him forever. Invite him into your heart. 
My name's Keith McKenzie. This is Winds of Change. We'll see you next time. God bless you. We don't live in a cursed place anymore if you just invite the Lord Jesus into your life.